This is a certified Big Soy Naturals classic. I have a I look like Jared Padalecki. I got them supernatural. So my value right now is zero. If you think about it, AI is actually the fastest path to communism. When I smoke the blue and I smoke the purple, smoking on the blunt because I want to run. It's all so adorable, but you can't have it. When I hit the blunt, it's a pick and cut. Enforced farming is really not a vibe. Hello, Kendall. Hello. Hi. Kendall, have you ever listened? You've never listened to Lana Del Rey, right? That's not one of your things. I, I've, I've never like fully listened to Lana Del Rey. I heard video games a bunch at its height. I've been hearing some snippets of her new album because they've been playing on TikTok and I don't mind it. It was just never like my thing at the time. Um, and I just never got into her like at her peak. And as she's been on her downfall and subsequent, like, I guess, just like plateau, I haven't really, <laughs> I haven't really felt the need to get invested. Okay. So as a person who is not of Lana Del Rey experience, and I am a person who is not of seeing the Joker experience, do you <laughs> think that we can um, maybe form a thesis around the idea that um, Lana Del Rey is the Joker for women yes i think that that is and why extremely accurate i mean she's always been kind of this like not anti-hero necessarily but like um complicated figure like from what i remember from the like tumblr days and like the the, the vague things that started cropping up from the lana fandom at the time was that a lot of people didn't like, like, even people who listened to her music didn't like her too much at the time, um, because of just, like, general clownery that she was doing. Yeah, her thing is that and she's then just she just, annoying. Her, and her thing has always been yeah. that she's annoying, and I feel like the younger, like, generation, like, the people who are, like, I don't know, like, 18 to, to 25 or something, who grew up listening to her music um, as really, like, young children or teens don't realize how like stupid and absurd she was the whole time because it was just like part of what was normal for them um but she's always been a mess when she was on instagram like a year ago being like i don't feel like there's room for delicate feminine women in pop culture there's so many women who are outspoken and bold and sexual like Beyonce, <laughs> Megan Thee Stallion, Nicki Minaj, Doja Cat. <laughs> Just naming yeah. every Black woman in pop culture. <laughs> That's classic Lana. She loves to make it seem like, um, like I, what I love about that letter is how she frames it as if she's like, there is no room in American culture anymore for white trad wives <laughs> who make music about literally Norman Rockwell paintings. Like there's just no room for those people anymore. And I'm like, babe, I know you go to church every Sunday. Those people that you see in church, that's your audience. Like, I don't, yeah, I, I, like <laughs> like, I don't know what Lana you're talking about. Has kind of convinced a certain section of her fans into thinking that they're like radical women 
for wanting mm-hmm. to get married and have babies. Like, there's nothing wrong with doing either of those things, no. but um, it's not exactly a subversive countercultural act to Normalize. marry a man and have normalized feminine <laughs> yeah normalized, normalized women being feminine normalized marrying normalized a man i mean that isn't that the kind of like confusing riddle that's that someone like the joker would would bring up i have no idea like i, I can imagine well i can imagine like like a heath ledger type or <laughs> or a jared leto type in clown makeup like like basically holding batman over a cliff and going like normalize feminine women and just letting him go and as he falls just like batman's just thinking like what the fuck did that mean who was the other joker the oh my god the more recent one joaquin phoenix yeah joaquin, joaquin phoenix. phoenix have you um read or watched that story of alia shawcat talking about how the two of them hooked up when she was like I don't know, like 20, 21. And, no. Oh, okay. It's a, it's, it's a trip. So they met at a party. They went to hook up. I think that he maybe was like 10 years older than her. I don't think that that in itself is such a big deal, especially when your actor is like, you just mm-hmm. sort of fake at that point. But uh, what he does next will shock and alarm you, which is that <laughs> he pulled out a Bic razor. <laughs> <gasps> And shaved, no. shaved her before he would have sex with her. <laughs> now, what part of your her no body? Cream, no cream, no soap. What part of her body, dear razor, dear readers, do you think that he shaved? <laughs> okay, here's my question: Was it dry shaving? Because if so, sociopath. Even I'm, like, I'm not I'm, sure. I know that. The story that she told said that he first told her to take a shower. And then when she got out, he pulled out the razor and shaved <laughs> her. And she was like, this is one of the weirdest experiences I've ever had. I like not to like shame her at out? all, because I know that sometimes in the moment you're just like frozen and you're like, uh, OK, yeah. like, I guess I guess I'm going to get shaved now. But I feel like if someone told me to take a shower, that would probably be when when I'm like, the alarm bells in my head start going off, but I would be very, very mm-hmm. concerned if someone pulled out a razor. Mm-hmm. I just feel like I already have kind of like a paranoia when it comes to the shower curtain being closed when I'm going into the bathroom. I cannot imagine if a man that I just met asked me to take a shower. Like, I know you're about to Norman Bates me. You are about to, like, fully, uh, like, psycho stab me in the shower. I would be so scared if someone pulled out a razor because you don't know what they're going to shave. What if they go for your head? Mm -hmm. What if they go for your eyebrows? (laughs) Please let me shave your eyebrows. (laughs) Please, ma'am, let me bleach your eyebrows. (laughs) Queen, let me do a bad bleach job on your hair. I feel like I'm like that, though. Like, Like, I'm not, but I would be like that with a man um but about uh painting his nails black i'd be like hey hey babe lay down real quick hold on and then i pull out the black nail polish and he's like what are you what are you you doing what are you doing (laughs) and then you wait 15 minutes for it to draw (laughs) (laughs) yeah those are the kind of psychosexual mind games that i'd like to play (laughs) oh my god welcome to big sweat naturals we're back (laughs) welcome 
Welcome. We're back. It's been it's been a moment. We were having mental health. We were dealing with jobs. Yeah, jobs One are of so us. bad. They're so yeah. bad. I we really need to get those Patreon dollars up because um, I'm just mm-hmm. not I'm not built to work. Kind of like Lana Del Rey said, the world is not a safe place for delicate they thems. There is not, <laughs> not space in this world for me to be a feminine <laughs> person. And and it's just really hard for me. I wasn't I wasn't built to have a job. I feel like the gender role that I'm most interested in um, is we go even further back than like the kind of I don't know traditionalism that people mm-hmm. are yearning for right now. Where I think they maybe want to go back to like the Victorian era. I want to go back to like Mesopotamia. I want to <laughs> gather. I want someone else. I want to go to, to the hunt. Fertile Crescent. I want to pick some berries leisurely all day. I want to forage for whatever there is to be foraged for. I want to find some stuff. I want someone else to hunt. Because uh, I don't think I I don't think I have the stomach for it, and then that would be my gender role is is gatherer. I mean, I I kind of want it in a modern sense almost. I want to spend all day looking for funny posts to collect, and then I share them with the tribe once they come back from the hunt. Like that's so kind of what you're like I'm looking for. Looking for posts all day long. You're posting what yeah, you've gathered. I'm and posting. then someone else is bringing you food. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's literally ideal. These that's are the, the kinds of ge- uh, gender roles that I'm interested in. Um, forget about the Victorian era. Forget about, you know, like waiting hand on foot for a man... Um, and being head of the household and all that stuff. No, it's time to go back to hunting and gathering. And anyone can do it. Anyone can be a hunter. Anyone can be a gatherer. Imagine hunter is spelled with an X. Um, Probably maybe where the E is, but it could also be where the U is. Gatherer is also spelled with an X. These are not gender-specific roles. They are just gender roles. But anyone anyone can do it. So what you're saying is you want that hunter x hunter lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, and there could, there could even be a relationship between two hunters. That's fine because we're all in the mm-hmm. maybe in the little tribe that we formed together. So some other people can gather mm-hmm. for you. But two people could be going and getting takeout and bringing it back to the house. And then two other people are posting things. <laughs> <laughs> when I go when I go to Target and I hypothetically steal some lip glosses that's just me going back to my base animal instinct of wanting to gather nuts and berries shoplifting a form of hunting or is it gathering it's gathering because it's like you you're you're going through the aisles and they're like the bushes Mm -hmm. right you're going through the aisles those are the bushes and then like security and employees that are like too high to even care or notice you those are like the predators that you have to watch out for the poisonous the venomous snakes that you're looking for in the bushes before you pick the berries if you will so like i would say it's gathering in a sense gathering's also hard it's also it's also treacherous yeah normalize gathering um 
Otherwise, looking for storing your nuts and berries for the winter. <laughs> Normalize hibernating and also imagine hibernating spelled with an X. <laughs> why is the X queer? What's going on there? Do you know why? I think it's just because... Oh my god! Maybe because mm. it's like underused in other parts of the English yeah. language, but I feel like it's it's a rare letter. So often, when someone I know, um, like comes out as trans or non-binary, they eventually coin a new name for themselves that has an X in it. It's it's honestly more of a non-binary thing than it is a trans thing, um, mm-hmm. in my experience, um, and like. It's just everywhere. It's fine. I don't have a problem with the X, you know, do you? But where did it come from? I feel like it's just like a rare letter in the English language, kind of like a rare Pokemon card, you know? And it just like, it, it doesn't have a lot of counterparts that like are as, as like a letter that are explicitly like one way or the other, you know? So X is like countercultural. Yeah, I mean, like, in a lot of, like, um, Eurocentric languages, like, the A is, like, a feminine suffix, you know? Like, I'm thinking, like, an X is kind of like that, where it's just, like, it's it's a lot more neutral in terms of its, like, like associate. It doesn't have a lot of words associated with X, you know? So I think that's the big part of it. And why not Q? I feel like Q is also a rare letter. I feel like... Maybe it's because um, Q doesn't have the same ability to turn it into like plurative, like you like like folks. Yeah, you know, you can't really yeah, do but, that but with, folk, with the Q. With the Q, folk. Oh, that's fun. That's a fun one. Normalize putting Q at the end of folk. <laughs> Normalize <laughs> spelling gatherer with a Q, where oh, instead of instead of it being gatherer with a G, replace the G with the Q. Quatherer, because <laughs> the Q kind of looks like a G. Um, it does kind of look like a G. Yeah, we're valid. Okay, we are valid. Welcome to Big Sweet Naturals. <laughs> we're back. We're better than ever. We're talking about fan fiction, which you're very mm-hmm. interested in. I am. Um, I'm mainly interested in it because I think that um, the people within the fan fiction like community see it as like such a radical form and I don't (laughs) I feel like you and I are gonna have a dialectic this episode a dialectic Mm -hmm. by the way dear listeners is um, Mm -hmm. when you have two things Um, because I feel like you're a lot more sympathetic to the to the fan fiction crowd than I am but we don't I mean I really have that much sympathy overall but you you are a lot nicer than I am about it I mostly want to bully them if you're familiar with like big soy naturals lore you know I spent quite a bit of my youth bullying fan fiction writers and it's not that I've grown out of that I still want to bully them it's that being so deep within that universe and then getting subsequently banned from fanfiction.net for Um, copyright infringement because I was just copy and pasting Bionicle fan page wiki into sexual dialogue. Um, Yeah, I, I feel like I've just got this, like, I unfortunately, I empathize with, like, at least 
the idea that like it's it's an if if you see it as like a subshoot of like like traditional romance novels i understand what a lot of these fanfic writers are saying when they get online and they say things like you know like when you like basically automatically assuming that if anyone is critical of just fan fr- fiction as a framework that means they are a misogynist because i understand where you're coming from in terms of like let's say like 50 shades is mommy porn right um the word mommy porn is very explicitly just a derogatory term used to describe the idea that basically women over the age of, of, of like a certain age having sexual thoughts and feelings is gross somehow. And I get that, you know, it's not cool. It's not fun. But at the same time, um, we can say things like, you know, uh, women, <laughs> antebellum women were facing misogyny doesn't mean that they weren't also uh, complicit in other things that were that were going on in the time. And I feel that way about a lot of um, fanfic writers, specifically ones that like to uh, come at me on Twitter. Um, yeah, I was about <laughs> to say that you were being very magnanimous with your, your view of them and not putting all of these um, freaks and losers, in my opinion. <laughs> In, into the freaking loser camp and and actually having a pretty nuanced view of them when they they did um bully you or they tried to bully yeah. you they weren't very good at they it they tried to um, they but they did bully you pretty hard once upon a time on twitter on tiktok yeah. also they came for you like, they both they both called you too young and also too old too old which is yeah. maybe the curse of being 27 you know mm-hmm. too, with really good skin too young <laughs> for mommy porn too old to play a high schooler on Riverdale mm-hmm. it's unfortunate because like I like it's frustrating just in the sense of like I wanted to have like a real dialogue with these people just in the sense that like sometimes you're like you y'all are just like jumping into like defense mode, right? Where like, if anyone criticizes this like community that you are a part of, you like just go on the attack. Um, And like, I get that like, you see it as like this, what's the word? Like crusade almost to go on, where like you're defending fan fiction as as like a revolutionary art form and that it's like, it can like boldly like uh, sidestep copyright and all this stuff, which like we'll get into, but it's like at a certain point, it's kind of weird, the pathological obsession, a lot of these like primarily female fanfic writers have with like just doing a misogyny or a misogynoir to other women. It's just odd. I find it very weird, like what, especially because like what they're defending is like heterosexual like porn, you know. Normalize and, women like, that's having odd. sex with men. <laughs> Normalize women having sex with Adam Driver. Normalize <laughs> Adam Driver's beautiful pepperoni nipples. <laughs> like, I mean, we should not normalize Adam Driver. It should not happen. I, 
I mean, so like, I'll get into basically like- Should we start at the very beginning? Yeah, I'm going to start at the very beginning. I'm going to cut some stuff out, um, but like, I will have many sources within the podcast description. I encourage you to look at them as always. Um, So let's get started. So, like, it's been argued by, like, a lot of articles about the history of fan fiction that, like, Greek and Roman myths and Shakespeare and Dante and James Joyce and Virgil were all, in fact, like, fanfic writers, which is an opinion that I refuse to acknowledge as valid for many reasons. Uh, Mainly, it's simply just semantics between inspiration and fan work. Like, fanfic is not just the settings and characters of a known universe. It also uses the tropes and desired outcomes that, like, thanks to sites like AO3 and fanfiction.net, like, can be filtered by an algorithm, which in one thing in their algorithm's defenses, I will say it is very, very um, in-depth, more so in-depth than a lot of, like, professional tech worker, like, archives are. So their archival system is unfortunately top-notch. The content within it, garbage. I feel like <laughs> the algorithm also kind of like fuels people into or directs them into seeing stories simply through the lenses of tropes. Um, mm-hmm. And it kind of like hinders people's ability. If if the primary like way that they consume literature is through fanfic, um, it kind of like hinders their ability to think more deeply about the actual story that's being told. I was seeing an argument happen on Tumblr not too long ago where someone was trying to say that like fan, fan fiction started with Shakespeare, like you were just saying, um, because Romeo and Juliet was like a retelling of Tristan and Isolde, um, but not realizing that, you know, fan fiction only exists because copyright exists and so like the the semantic thing that you were getting into but also someone replied you're trying to tell me that um (laughs) that Romeo and Juliet isn't just like star-crossed lovers and then like they listed a couple other like popular fan fiction tropes and it's like no it's it's like very much its own thing um Mm -hmm. just like every story that maybe like contains these tropes and makes use of them are their own thing and it doesn't serve you when you're boiling it down to just these things that you would happen to tag something on AO3 with Mm -hmm. exactly like I it's just like fan fiction as like a as a work is just not the same as like Dante taking inspiration from the bible which is like one of the oldest forms of like folktale <laughs> and using it in a novel to like basically walk through his ima- his imagined version of hell like that's a very different like um type of work than like a fan work which is basically taking a lot of like just the same arcs from the exact same story that this person had already seen and then just maybe flipping and tweaking some outcomes. It's like, this is the argument that like when 50 shades came out, a lot of people got into about, is it like, it? it's really like toes the line on some really tricky, like intellectual property ground because all like the word it's, it cannot be stressed enough. Like that the wording from like, uh, the original Fifty Shades Twilight fan fiction and the wording in the published novel are barely different 
The only thing that's different is basically names. Yeah, so they it's call like that filing off the serial numbers. Exactly. And it's so like you can't really and and you know, Stephanie Meyer has been in all her Mormon glory, has been gracious enough to not file any kind of like litigation against E.L. James for this. However, E.L. James team, yes, that'd be so fun. Oh, I would love that. (laughs) However, E.L. James team has not been so kind to people who want to make like cook, like BDSM themed cookbooks with like 50 flavors of whatever, or like different types of like works that are slightly derivative of 50 shades. Her, what? Her uh, publishing house, I believe, even called it parasitical Hold on. Um, for these <laughs> to be made. Yeah. What the fuck is a, a BDSM-themed cookbook? I don't know. And frankly, I don't want to know. I don't know. Sexy food? Aphrodisiacs? Pff, fucking, but I don't know. But it's BDSM-themed also, so it's like, <laughs> tie your husband up with a spaghetti noodle. <laughs> bondage themed pasta you just tie it all you spend a so you spend hours just tying all of it into different intricate knots use the meatball like a ball gag <laughs> i'm upset mama mia also i feel like what, what you were saying is like that's that's really the difference between um i don't know something like um the divine comedy or shakespeare or ulysses which is like a retelling of the Odyssey and fan fiction or fan work, which is that the the title of fan fiction like necessitates that one one work is the the actual thing and the other thing is derivative, which is only mm-hmm. something that like comes from the existence of copyright. Prior yeah. to copyright being a thing, which I believe is like uh, eighteen seventy, maybe I might I have the number somewhere. Um, before that, it was pretty normal for authors to take stories by other writers and retell them in their own way. That's why we have so many different variations of like Cinderella stories within different cultures, because people mm-hmm. would take the structure of a story and use it to tell their own. Um, and that only became... Mm, I don't know, seen as derivative once copyright came into existence and this whole idea of intellectual property and prop- like profiting off of someone's work uh, made it a little bit trickier to do that. And so one work has to be the actual work and then one work is the like fan-made or derivative one. But I would say that there's a world of difference between Ulysses and the Odyssey versus Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> Yeah, and like, I mean, you just you never would see Homer uh, issuing cease and desist to different bards around like ancient Greece because they were telling the story of that the would be Odyssey. Funny. That, that would be very funny. I will say I would though, love to see Twilight just as good as the Odyssey, uh, <laughs> perhaps even better. Perhaps, perhaps. I mean, you can relate Edward to a Greek hero figure in a lot of ways. <laughs> I don't think that he's Odysseus though, because Odysseus is kind of a trickster. He he's like yeah. Wiley Coyote because he kinda he gets by on his on his mind. And Edward is not very like trickstery, but who 
could Edward be from from Greek mythology? Do you know? I'm not mm. really a Greek myth head. I, I do like, like the Odyssey. I feel like he could be. Hmm. I'm thinking like Achilles, or like I'm not. I'm not sure about like a god, but I'm thinking of just like the like half gods or like the Greek heroes. Because I'm thinking, like, Achilles would be a good one only because, like, he does, Edward does have, like, several weaknesses. Yeah. He's kind of weak. (laughs) Well, uh, Stephanie Meyer, I'm sorry, I always make everything about Twilight. Stephanie Meyer thinks that he and Bella are, like, Hades and Persephone because he's, he's pulling Bella into his little underworld. But Persephone gets to leave. Um, and Bella like, does not half of the year. She she just becomes full vampire. But I'm sorry, I'm distracting you. You have you have actual yeah. things to say. Um. Well, I just mean like I think bottom line is that in our view, the pastiche and referencing and criticizing and parody and like paying homage are like really common in literature, and it's just plain not the same thing as fan fiction fan fiction only exists under copyright and capitalism and it relies on intellectual property to exist um i think there's been quite a bit of arguments about like oh fan fiction can like sidestep copyright so it could if used correctly it could almost be a form of like 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 an artistic statement against copyright but to me that's such horseshit um like like i said before el james uh who wrote a derivative of Twilight fan fiction that then became a book in and of its own and then several movies um, has like issued numerous different lawsuits against other companies that want to make derivative works based on like her fan fiction. And you can say, well, E.L. James isn't representative of the entire fanfic community, but she is the one who is the most successful, arguably. She's the only one who's managed to really truly break into the publishing world to the point where she has several movies well, adapted from her book what about cassandra clare <laughs> oh i forgot about who here's the thing only certain people know about cassandra clare <laughs> <laughs> okay there's read, like a very small books. window i want to like claim innocence right now i have never read her books but i, I do know her name because i was online probably starting from the year 2001 onwards. So I know who Cassandra Clare is. But like, she's also a bad example of like somebody who has pitched many tantrum, public tantrums online of people making derivative works of her already derivative work. Yeah, she's and it's like that, like filing off the serial numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Her books yeah. are, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Draco slash... Hermione mm-hmm. fan fiction, yeah, or maybe it's I believe Harry so. Slash Hermione. I'm not gonna look it up because I don't think I need to know this. I'll like slander her whether or not it's true. Um, but it's I think pretty similar to E.L. James, where the text is like very very close to an already poorly written work, which is Harry Potter. Um, and (laughs) these like books that she's published, which I think it's the Mortal Instruments series Mm -hmm. was initially on like fanfiction.net as 
Harry Potter mm-hmm. fanfic, and then at some point the names were changed so that it could be legitimately published. Yeah. It's a real tragedy that My Immortal never got that treatment. Yeah, I'm 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 a little upset about it, but I think part of that just had to do with the fact that the author fell off the face of the earth. <laughs> Can you imagine you if know? there was like a TV adaptation of My Immortal in the same style as like the mortal instruments it'd be so good and like emma roberts plays um ebony darkness dementia raven way like a like a cw version right of like my immortal oh i love that i love that yeah i mean the thing is with like both cassandra claire and el james they are both like first of all they are like some of the only examples of fan fiction becoming mainstream traditional fiction published fiction and at that really successful published fiction because there have been a couple of works i think of like fanfic that have gotten published but not nearly to the same extent as these two and they both have pitched numerous fits over like um derivative works being made of their already derivative work and I think that that's a prime example of just like a fanfic writer like in on the outset is not looking to like is is not looking to side with copyright abolition they are looking to become the powerful the person in charge that's what they're looking for also like if fan fiction was subverting copyright then these two authors could publish their stories without having to change the character names Mm -hmm. because that would mean that the copyright that was applied to Harry Potter um, like is somehow able to be like vanquished by this new original story that uses the same characters. It's obviously not an original story, but if this were if fan fiction were like a possible means of subverting copyright in that way, then it would be one way to do that, which is why it's frustrating to me when the comparison is made to other stories like this, where like, Oh, Madison Miller's book. I don't know if you read um, song of Achilles or her other one. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really matter. I've heard, I've heard of them though. It's it's not that important, but she like uses characters from Greek mythology and tells like an original story um, from them. And people were calling it published fan fiction, which is hilarious because (laughs) (laughs) these are characters that are just part of, of our culture. Like we, you could write a story about Achilles if you wanted to and it would be completely fine you don't have to ask permission from anyone to do that you don't have to publish it on fanfiction.net and worry about Mm -hmm. what would happen if you potentially monetize it versus Harry Potter is clearly not a character that belongs to all of us in the same way because he in fact belongs to JK Rowling yeah may she rest in peace May she, oh, poor, poor JK died in a horrible, horrible accident with the down with cis bus. Um, she, like, that's the thing is that, like, even if in, like, let's say, like, 50 to 100 years, Harry Potter became, like, public domain, you know, it's still very unlikely that um, he'll stick around as, like, folklore, you know, um, it's like, 
I just think there's such a difference between like taking inspiration from something that is over like a thousand years old. Um, that is just part of like, that is just ingrained into like the culture at large rather than something that is going to be in like legal battles for the next like several decades in order to get to the point where it's even public domain. Like there, we're going to have a whole episode where we just talk about copyright abolition eventually, dear yeah. listener. But if <laughs> film fiction was subversive to copyright, then there would not be court cases happening at this very moment over whether or not published authors can use the Omegaverse <laughs> in their written works. This would not be happening. We would just be... All Omegaverse writers would be able to live in peace no, writing about hold on. They would not. They would not be able to live in peace in the perfect world. But <laughs> that's well, and that's an example of a trope that came out of fan fiction. Omegaverse stuff, if dear listener, you're lucky enough to not know what that is. Um, it's like wolf sexual dynamics imposed onto human relationships. And it came from a prompt that an anonymous Tumblr user, whoever you are, I hope that you're in hell, um, asked a supernatural fan fiction writer <laughs> to write a story about two of the supernatural characters as if they were an alpha wolf and an omega wolf, but people, but using like unscientific mm-hmm. wolf dynamics yeah. and also having sex in the way that wolves do this trope which is what the omegaverse is comes from fan fiction it belongs to that realm and still now published authors that are using this trope are suing each other <laughs> um, for their use of it as if any of them have the claim to like originally coming up with it. Um, but I think that like, like just a commenter on tumblr.com like yeah. that, that owns, if anything, the image of Omegaverse. But if, if it but... was like a way that we could um, like get at copyright, which I think that we should, we should find a way to get rid of it. Um, mm-hmm. then then this wouldn't be happening. Like, no one yeah. would be trying to claim initial ownership over this trope so that no one else could use it. People would be excited about coming up with a literary device or a literary universe that other people could play in. Although mm-hmm. this one, I am not excited about. You should not use it. If you read <laughs> Omegaverse fan fiction, go to confession. <laughs> I think, like, it's just this... Like, I think that what fan fiction is, is that it's an interesting avenue to explore the world of copyright. But unlike some of the arguments that I've heard from people who tried to bully me last year on Twitter, it is not a way to sidestep copyright in the slightest. It will, it's at like its current existence, the way it exists now, the only thing it can do is just dive headfirst into supporting copyright. Because and not to be like let people enjoy things, but you can mm-hmm. actually just enjoy stuff that's like bad and it's fine. You don't have to 
um, try to argue that everything that you like is part of some kind of radical action in order to legitimize you enjoying it. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe you really just want to read about some characters in Star Wars fucking as if they were wolves. And I'm not going to say that you're valid for that, but you can do that. You can. You're Until allowed. the revolution comes, no one's going to stop you. I mean, once in, once again, like something that I've, I've brought up to you before, but it's like fan fiction as a practice in a vacuum is inherently neutral. It's not something that like is going to revolutionize literature, in my opinion, as much as they want us to think that. I think AO3 more recently has won a Hugo Award for, oh my God, what was it? It was... Um, best group work because I guess it's a website full of people doing fan fiction. So that would be considered a group work or something like that. I'll have the link to the article in the comments, but it's, you know, yeah, as a practice in theory, in a vacuum, I think that it can be good even, and and not even neutral. I think it could be good in terms of um, fostering creativity in connecting Mm -hmm. people with each other and getting people to improve their skills in writing. Um, I think all of those things are nice. I think that the actually existing fan fiction that I'm aware of is not very good. It's not very nice. Um, It is kind of like the literary equivalent of NFT art, in my opinion. But... (laughs) As a, as a concept, I think the idea of borrowing existing characters, retelling stories the way that you would have wanted them to be told, um, coming up with new ideas and inserting them into a universe that you're already familiar with, all of those things sound like good and fine and fun to me. And it seems like a great way to connect with other people that are interested in the same thing as you. I don't want to smoke, I just want to smoke. I don't want to smoke, I just want to smoke. Which is sort of how the whole practice of fan fiction began, which is not with fucking mm-hmm. James Joyce or Shakespeare, but Sherlock with, Holmes. with Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And that was actually I... like a creative sphere for a time for those fans. Mm-hmm. I don't know shit about Star Trek. Almost called it Star Wars. Um don't care to learn too much about it and I wouldn't have a personal interest in like reading those fan works but from what I know about that like initial fan space it seems like it was a space for a lot of like really genuine creativity and also a place where fans of Star Trek um, who are women were Mm -hmm. able to participate in the world of sci-fi um in a way that like fostered community, like validated them as women and as like women fans of this thing that's in a world that's like pretty traditionally male. Like I think that it, it can be cool. And it yeah. was cool maybe once in practice. <laughs> yeah. Um, what Cerise is talking about specifically is the fanzine known as Spocknalia. This uh, or Spocknalia, I'm never I'm gonna say Spocknalia. Please if you actually know the pronunciation do not tell me i don't need to know (laughs) but um 
we have like fanzines like Spocknalia, which was one of the, um, it's one of the most cited uh, works of like the first fan fiction. It was published in 1968. It was released just in time for the premiere of the second season of the original Star Trek show. That's the one with William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy. Um, it featured poems about uh, Vulcan like culture and like Vulcan language fan writings dictate what dictating what would later be known as like head canons about the culture. Um, and Vulcan was the, was the type of alien creature that Spock who was played by Leonard Nimoy was in case you don't know a lot about Star Trek, but that's basically it. Um, there were, there were quite a few poems um, dedicated to like the thoughts and feelings of someone like Spock who was both half. They, I think, from what I remember from reading some of Spocknalia, a lot of these women were fascinated with Spock's like origin as a half human, half alien who um, is like who is like driven by logic from his like alien species, but also um, has like a, a huge emotional like dysregulation issue that he's dealing with. And writing a lot of poetry about like that specific feeling of like being one foot in, one foot out of like logic and emotion. Like I get that, you know, I get that that's like something to kind of channel your own feelings through. Um, Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek, called it required reading for any new fan. So these women got acknowledgement from the official creator of the show. So and, it, and I think that was pretty important at the time. It should also be noted that this publication, which was headed by women, it was edited by Deborah Michelle Langsam and Sherna Comford. Um, and looking at some of the authors on Zine Wiki, which is, I think, a really fun resource because I, I love zine culture as like a thing. Um, a lot of these women ended up being pretty big players in the fanzine scene, not just in Star Trek, but in other fandoms as well, like Lord of the Rings, et cetera, et cetera. In a way, a lot of these poems and like illustrations and and like stories that they wrote for the fanzine, which had about four issues, I believe, um, is like a springboard for modern fan culture. But it's still like pretty different in execution. You know, being a fanzine made in 1968, not really having a public comment section. It's it stands as a pretty isolated piece of art. Like fan fiction, if you don't know like the kind of workings of like AO3 or fanfiction.net, a lot of these websites, um, you up like the author of a piece of fan fiction will upload chapters and like they'll upload chapters as they write them. So a writer will write a chapter and then ask the audience at the end for like constructive criticism, maybe if they're feeling like it. And a lot of people will give them like feedback that then feeds into their next chapter. So it's like, it's a, it's a work that's very much like influences uh, that like does not exist in a vacuum in the same way that I think a fanzine does. This fanzine obviously later had um, a lot of influence from the fan base itself. Like Gene Roddenberry, I think wrote a foreword for one of the issues at one point because he loved it so much. Um, but Altogether, it's still a piece of work that, like, with the editors like Langsam and Comerford, still stands as like a as like a like systemically published piece of work. Like, it has a team behind it rather than one author and like hundreds of commenters. 
you know, it's not quite the same thing. Um, but I think it's, it's still an important thing to recognize, like Cerise said before, that this is a work that is primarily headed by women um, in a fan base that is predominantly like um, filled with men. So it provides them their own space within this like media world. So I totally like, we just want to make it clear. We totally get it from that point of view. We are, we grew up on Tumblr. We are like not completely isolated from the idea of fan, of like fandom and fan fiction being a place that fosters community. Okay. You know, so hold but... on. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were, you were a part of the super hulak fandom but like kind of minus minus the super part um the super part i was not really ever like a fandom e person i did do some lord of the rings role playing back in the day though that's kind of a form of Mm -hmm. fan fiction i suppose um but i've never like read it i didn't like seek out any fan Mm -hmm. fiction works of things that i liked i think partly because like a lot of the things that i like to read or watch don't fall into the category of like what is popular to be writing fan fiction about mm-hmm. like a lot of right. what is on um AO3 these days is like MCU stuff which does not hold my interest 10 years ago it was a lot of super hulak stuff Harry Potter has always dominated the fan fiction sphere and I don't care for Harry Potter and never really did Feel like Harry Potter exists to sell merchandise, um, <laughs> and isn't that good as of a story? Um, so I never got to like dive too deep into that world. But like Ken- Kendall, Kenny, <laughs> Kenderson, <laughs> I'm interested. Were you ever? Um, I know that you wrote uh, quite a bit of fan fiction, but like kind of as a troll. Did you ever yeah. read? And and then what did you read? And did you like it? And was it good? Okay, I think I, from what I remember, hmm, I think I didn't read too much fan fiction only because I was a pretty avid reader and I had that very, I went through a very like pick me phase of um, being like super into grammatical, like correcting grammatical errors. <laughs> so like, I no, really- No, you were that and person? That's like, yeah. Uh, for like a, for, I went through a oh, hot minute phase Kenny. of like, Ken, yeah, Ken it's, I know, I know it's more Ken shameful well. than even writing fanfic, but I do remember that like I read some fanfic, mostly the stuff that was like, just like, not even, not even like slash, which is, which if you don't know, dear listener is the fanfic term terminology for porn, basically like there's a couple other nuances that I'm sure a fanfic writer will get mad at me There's about. There's Judas but... slash Jesus fanfiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found some of it in preparation for this podcast because you know <laughs> me, I like to try and <laughs> insert some Bring religious every... uh, extremism into our <laughs> podcast. And one of the tags for the Judas slash Jesus fan fiction that I found has just really it stuck with me and it's burrowed a hole into my heart where it was tagged with not canon compliant. 
not canon. Oh yeah, it's not my fan fiction isn't canon to the Bible. Well, and what's so just, funny is that that's that's where the word canon comes from is from like biblical study and deciding whether or not like the original use of the term canon was like if your interpretation of this story from the Bible or if this this parable that we're not sure like is it part of like the Bible or is it like written many many years after like deciding whether or not it it fits in the the canon is where it comes from so to see it use to like to see it come full circle <laughs> and be used as a fan fiction term but for <laughs> a story about Judas and Jesus fucking um is really something I I love the modern era sometimes you know I could see that as radical <laughs> yeah like just writing some judas jesus porn i could see that as something that um but just in the like oh wait hold on i'm sorry uh important to mention that the other tag that has been living with me from that was um judas top jesus bottom (laughs) (laughs) i reject that i don't think that that's that is not even it that shouldn't even be a head canon jesus (laughs) is the top Judas is the bottom. To to say that the son of God is a bottom. Oh, I feel like you're about to be bottom phobic. <laughs> it's not. It's not the bottom phobic. It's the it's the fact that he's supposed to be like the authority, at least in some sects of Christianity. Send Why us would an he email. be the bottom? Send us an email. Do you think that Jesus would have bottomed, or do you think that he would have topped? I think we send us that an email. Jesus as a Pisces. And therefore, a mutable sign. Uh, he would have been averse. Mm, He's also bisexual. Um. Oh, <laughs> to answer your 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 initial question, I think some of the fanfic I used to read was not the porn, um, but the fluff where it was just two characters um, living in like from like sci-fi living in like an apartment together, odd couple style. Like I remember reading one specific fanfic about like. Um, two forms of the doctor from Doctor Who basically doing a sitcom bit where they split their um, the inside of the TARDIS in two with like a white line with a white painted line and are like you stay on that side I stay on this side and I thought it was really funny like I think that like fanfic when it's not porn can actually be a really fun exercise like writing exercise it like some people, I think, um, who are more negative like us have um, a likened it to, like, a form of, like, and basically an evolving of, like, childhood play. And I see that, you know? Like, it's... Oh, it's, yeah. You take it's two- very, like, when you get on the playground and you and your friends yeah. are all fighting over which Sailor Moon character you get to play for the game that you're about to do. It was, you know, mm-hmm. early childhood kin wars, Mm-hmm. It's and fan worse. fiction, it's I feel like, can be like that. And I feel like it. Mm-hmm. I'm. I don't think that I have really ever had that much of an interest in reading or writing it. I think in big part because fan fiction seems to be based around the fan community that it's written about. Like people don't write fan fiction for like I don't know, fucking like Tolstoy. Like no one's writing like Anna Karenina fanfic, right? 
it's I always wish. about. I like, think there is somewhere, <laughs> but it's but it's typically about stuff that has an active fan base right now, mm-hmm. and so yeah. I think that I never got too deeply into it because I didn't have um, a fan relationship with a lot of the things that like these fan works were being built on top of. Like I was not going to read or write Harry Potter fan fiction. Wasn't going to read or write. Doctor Who fan fiction, no offense. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe now I would I would read the Judas Jesus fanfic. Yeah. Um, but it, it is it is very centered around like the fan community. And so I think if you don't have um if you're not like participating in one of those fandoms, you're gonna be hard pressed to like find fan fiction within that sphere. And it's probably not as exciting to write it either because you're not getting that interaction from readers the way that like writers of Iron Man fan fiction mm-hmm. probably are like if someone's writing Anna Karenina fanfic they're writing that for themselves yeah I mean they're mostly writing that for themselves I think I don't want smoke I just want to smoke I don't want smoke I just want to smoke I think you know before you move on to the next section of um, this pod I just want to say we here at Big Soy Naturals want to acknowledge that there is a vast and nuanced valid and not valid dichotomy at play with fan fiction. That was the whole point of the first hour of this podcast. However, we regret to inf- <laughs> However, we are valid. Some most fanfic writers are not. Some maybe. We'll see. <laughs> However, We regret to inform our audience that the powers that be in the past several years have made more Star Wars films, and they are bad. I will not be elaborating further. Main takeaway. Are the original Star Wars films good? Can you elaborate on that? As someone who is pretty and, you know, who is just like a delicate, um, soft, gentle, they them in in this world. (laughs) Um, I've never seen... A Star Wars and at this point I really don't want to because it's so fun um, to tell men that I haven't seen it and then to just like make up reasons for why I don't like it I'm like yeah there's no women in it um, and that's why I don't I think, support it but I've yeah I've I never think seen a Star Wars. there's a reason Wars. it resonates with people I think that it it's it hits you a bit over the head but that's kind of its purpose I think it's, you know, it's it's got that classic sci-fi feel, but it's like, at least to me, it feels like those movies at the time were made simply because they wanted to make them at the very least, even if they were successful, they were making them because they wanted to, very similar to like Lord the, the first three Lord of the Rings movies, right? But... I would say that, like, I'm much more of a Star Trek person. I like the, I mean, it's just comparing apples and oranges, right? Like, there's a, like, Star Trek has a much more, like, philosophical view of the world only because it's a TV show and it has, like, seasons upon seasons and spinoffs upon spinoffs to expand on that. Um, And Star Wars, you know... It has some of the same like stuff, but it's it's just not the same in my opinion. Um, but it's fine, you know. But you know, 
I still think that these current films are a blatant cash grab and everyone knows it. Um, the main takeaway from these films from white women fanfic writers is not that the new Star Wars films are a hollow recreation of the series for the sheer purpose of keeping the mouse house fat and happy. It's not the siphoning of nerd culture, a culture that could create things like Spocknalia, like that we mentioned before, um, into another like bland industrial superpower that flushes Funko Pop plastic into our pipeline. Not the blatant racism from a fan base filled with white supremacists. No, dear listener. The key component they took away from this new franchise is that the racing greyhound hopped up on cocaine, cursed to be a human known as Adam Driver, is very sexy. And if you tell them it's dorky that they write fan fiction about him using the force to finger blast Daisy Ridley, you must be a misogynist. Let's let's take a moment um, because we have we have a very. Um, let's take a moment to imagine Adam Driver finger blasting. Daisy Ridley, who I believe is responsible for killing Princess <laughs> Diana. She was driving the car. I think she was like her. maybe two, if if that. And that's why she <laughs> crashed the car because she was too young to drive. I I think you know we have a we have a predominantly male audience. Um. So and and I think yeah. I why think, is that? I think, you know, in a way, part of that has to do with the fact that we are often playfully misogynist, but it's only cool when we do it. Just so you know, fellas. Um, So, you know, in order to balance that out, um, let's take a moment to just be um, mean to Adam Driver's appearance. Adam Driver looks like a bunch of fists covered in skin. Adam Driver has juicy areolas um adam driver you know he says he got injured in a bike accident before he could um get into the army but i think if if the draft were reinstated he would dodge the draft um adam driver looks like one of those hairless sphinx cats yeah he would dodge the draft derogatory because dodging the no but he would do it in like a not cool way you know where you just like you say like like you just lie and say that you're impotent you know that kind of guy (laughs) instead of him telling the truth (laughs) and saying that he's impotent just be like ooh, listen to this email telling us what you think Adam Driver's sperm <laughs> count is looking like. Because I know that Margaret Atwood has had some things to say recently about the male sperm count going down. I'm interested if Adam Driver fits into that pattern. What I I don't even know what a normal or an abnormal sperm count is, like ten. I think I think around ten. Ten sperms. So maybe he's got like two. What a what I don't really know how all of that works. I went to Catholic school, so the me- mechanics of like the reproductive system <laughs> are a little bit lost on what, me. What do you think Adam Driver looks like to you? Like, what what what's with his appeal? Like, what um, why why do they like him so much? I don't know. I mean, as someone that like does like ugly looking people from time to time. His appearance is one that baffles me as like a as a heartthrob character. He he just looks like a like a guy that mm-hmm. looks bad. 
Um, I'm not saying he is prone like, to anger issues, but he looks like the kind of guy that would just like throw his like video game controller at a wall like every single fucking day. Also, this is how far removed I am from pop culture is that I thought for a really long time because I didn't I didn't know about the Star Wars, wasn't following the new movies. Um, you know the yeah. movie Baby Driver? So that's where <laughs> I thought Adam Driver came from because I also hadn't seen Baby Driver. And I, I, you know, looking back, it doesn't really make a lot of sense because, like, why would he have the movie. same last name as the <laughs> title of the film? But, when, <laughs> but whenever people were talking about Adam Driver on, like, Twitter or Tumblr or whatever, I was just always thinking, like, oh, like, the movie baby driver which i haven't seen he's the main character adam driver the main character from one baby la- driver one last roast of- about adam driver's <laughs> appearance and then i'll move on uh he looks like that thing you put your foot in to figure out what size shoe you are at the shoe store he looks like the Foot Locker size chart <laughs> um <laughs> there 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 is so if you don't know, dear listener, if you, like Cerise, don't know a lot about the Star Wars, um, Adam Driver's character is Kylo Ren. Daisy Ridley's character is named Ray. I don't think she has a last name. Um, I also thought that his name was Kyle. Yeah, no, it's Kylo, which I think... That, so and funny. What's worse is that he chose that... It's that in the canon, he chose that for himself. His name is, like, Ben why because like he was like Wait, separating himself he... from his family and he's like that's my edgy new villain name i'm kylo is he non-binary no is there is is there an x in there um maybe the non-binary there's a y. Kylo ren, the non-binary Ky- kylo ren would be named xylo mm-hmm. <laughs> xylo like xylophone <laughs> <laughs> yeah but no but xylo is spelled with an x okay 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 yeah yeah, yeah. But that, that is xylophone. <laughs> there's, okay, so, so there's much talk in the circles that shipped the pair known as Raylo. That's the combination of their two names. You get it? Um, about their harassers and their boogeymen. The people who like, who terrorize Raylo shippers known as aunties by people in their community. Um, in the fallout, Data and like this is an article that is cited that was linked to me. I think you need to know, dear listener, by a lot of these Raylos who fought me last year. Um, by in the fallout, um, data analyst and fan Katie McCourt published When systemic hatred of women online goes unnoticed, what does it say about us? Um, it's a medium article are, because, are of us course, the women. Or are us like the society, like us, us the society? I believe is what she's trying to say because so uh, she. When people hate women mm-hmm. for liking Star Wars, what does that say about society? Mm-hmm. I wish that people hated women for liking Star Wars, but I don't think that that's really true. This is another case think, of needing to get off the internet a little bit. I think there because- are. Well, like I said before, there is a giant white supremacist base that hated these new movies because there was a woman in their eyeline as well as a black man. And that made them viciously upset, uh, frothing at the mouth. But I think what these women don't understand is that they are also complicit in that hatred. 
um, in their own special ways. Um, and we'll get to that. But so McCourt outlines on the outset that this article is meant to be like a thoughtful analysis of like Raylo harassment as it aligns with <laughs> what like Kimberly Crenshaw would call intersectional oppressions. <laughs> She states Oh, that, no, like, not the intersectional. Oh. Yes. That's one of those words that is, it's been really just, um, it's been run, it's been ran through mm-hmm. as a word. And it's too bad because I think that intersectional describes something that is useful and is a term that has some merit mm-hmm. and unfortunately has really just been like wrung out of all meeting at this point when someone uses the term intersectional I'm like I need you to define it because I have no idea what it means when you use it yeah clearly if Star Wars fans are using it to describe their experience of being told that liking Star Wars is cringe uh I have no idea what this word means anymore um (laughs) uh yeah, it's it's bad. She states that in this article, uh, the article is for educational purposes, you know, trademark. Uh, she claims that female fans have been banned or chased off social media platforms based on gender, race, and religious affiliations. In the very next paragraph, she says, you have read every time the latest hive mind online has... Uh, you have read every time, it's very weirdly worded. <laughs> you have read every time the latest hive mind online has labeled you sexist, a racist, abuse apologist, a school shooter, an inbred, a Nazi, a mental case, inhuman. Then McCourt identifies that the identities of aunties or harassers as belonging to one of two possible groups, the alt-right or one, uh, one of or one of the dictated factions of the progressive left like like so basically there have to be two groups of people on both sides of the political spectrum that horseshoe just hate Raylos. yeah it's horseshoe, horseshoe theory. theory uh bread and butter um also just Communists like this and nazis are getting together in discord groups to conspire against women Star Wars fans. <laughs> uh, she specifically, like like I said in the first sentence, she said that there's a hive mind online that labels you, the Raylo, as like a sexist or a racist or an abuse apologist or a school shooter or a Nazi or a mental case or an inbred. And I'm not saying that like some of these terms are just pure name calling. Inbred is just name calling. Mental case is just name calling. But it's interesting that you include things like racist abuse apologist nazi like in these (laughs) in these like some some of these things are not like the others like if someone's calling you a racist that's not just them i mean maybe we don't know but like it's not just a a little mean term that you hurl Mm -hmm. at someone like it is a word that has some meaning behind it um other data analyst wrote another Medium article response to this called uh, It's a Trap, Raylo's Racism and the Whiteness of Data in the Harassment of Women Online. Um, it's really good. I recommend you read it. It will be in the description. Um, to quote the Rebecca Harrison response article, um, again, the essay gains traction here by offering enough criticism of the alt-right that it feels like a balanced and fair assessment because the reader likely shares McCourt's politics in this instance. However, when she discusses when she discusses aunties, 
That is specifically the women she's accused, she accuses of far left pearl clutching. She slips into misogynistic language herself by denigrating progressive women for their moral or ethical concerns and accuses them of bullying. There's also a lot going on here in terms of her ling linguistic jumps. She seems to conflate women in this context with women of color and then refers to women of color as aunties through the rest of the essay. It's a wild ride in semantics. That's for sure. Once again, it's just like she just conflates everyone who does not agree with um, like the practice of writing fan fiction about this relationship that between like a villain and like a hero, you know, in the narrative where like the, and it's, it's pretty obvious in all Star Wars media that like the dark side or like the Republic, not the new Republic, um, whatever, the dark side is meant to be fascists, right? They all wear the same uniform. They all march in a similar line. They have a very fashy theme song. Like it's, they're supposed to be fascists. That's the imagery that they're putting out. It's very clear. Um, yeah, I, so for McCourt to be going on this whole tirade about how any concern that someone must have for a hero and like what, like the imagery is telling you is a fascist fucking, um, anyone having any concern with how writing about that could be like delving into something that gives you like a problematic worldview they're just dismissed out of hand as like an anti rather and like a harasser so she's also just devolving into the same kind of like name calling and harassment that she's accusing these people of it's very weird she goes on to describe the harassment of Raylos by antis uh, involving three accusations leveled at the community which is um, one, that Raylos support real-life abuse by wanting a romantic pairing between two characters who began as enemies in an epic myth, that Raylos are racist because they support a romantic pairing between two white characters, um, and three, that Raylos are sexist because Raylos write sexually explicit fanfiction between a pure heroine and the bad guy. Um, I think this is an interesting point only because there is so much fan fiction like this, not just in the Star Wars fandom, but pretty much everywhere. You can see that with like how Fifty Shades of Grey succeeded despite um, all of the discourse surrounding it being about how it's not really BDSM, it's sadomasochism. Um, there's so much fanfic out there that's specifically about um, like fixing a domineering um yet abused man like does that make sense it's just this it's this very odd um trope that these women like clamor to defend that's just so interesting to me because it's like i think it, it just feels very much like you're you know that there's like a hole in your argument that you're just not acknowledging which is that you are writing fan fiction like from the perspective of like fixing a like a domineering villain character like and who has anger issues like and is it surprising that the chief consumers and producers of this style of fan fiction are military wives <laughs> 
We cannot prove that for truth, dear reader, but what, it was what some. What does that say about their relationships? And what's so interesting is that when you when you point out these kinds of things, like that it, you know, putting aside like what we've been saying before about like fan fiction's merits or not its merits, like if we're if we're criticizing it, like we would criticize any piece of art, and we're saying. Oh, it's a little bit strange how much of what is popular and what is written is about this like delicate feminine Lana Del Rey style woman um, through her like her goodness and willingness to just put up with like a lot of violent bullshit um, from like a violent tortured man is that's like what is popular in the fan fiction sphere and we're like that's that's kind of uh concerning mm-hmm. that's a little bit bad and then what what do they come out in droves in kendall's tiktok comments <laughs> and in kendall's twitter comments saying <laughs> is let people enjoy things <laughs> which is my least favorite response to any kind of like art criticism because no one was saying that you can't enjoy it Mm -hmm. we were asking should you yeah but (laughs) like telling someone let people enjoy things and i you know whoever who created that phrase i will find you i know and i will i will drag you out from your house by your hair and swing you around like gay bowser his his name is adam ellis adam yeah adam Adam Ellis. Your days are fucking numbered. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, telling people, like, let people enjoy things, it's a great way to tell me that you're stupid (laughs) and that you lack perspective um, completely. And it's also just, like, very weird to, I don't know, like, form an entire identity around fandom and fan culture to the point where someone criticizing it isn't just a criticism of the thing that you like, but is an attack on you and your character. I feel like we see this outside of the fan fictions here with like whenever someone who has more than four brain cells says that the Marvel movies are like not actually that good. And then all of the like MCU fans come out of their little hidey holes and they're like, um, um, actually we're valid and um, let people enjoy things. And uh, it's good. It's good. Please, Martin Scorsese, stop saying it. Like <laughs> it's, it's also just the fact that people think that criticism or like concerns from people that are just like not in the same niche. But I mean, I don't know if Marvel is even niche, like, but in their little subculture is the same thing as being prevented from enjoying something. Like, yeah. They think that they're now up an oppressed class because I someone mean, made some mild criticism of the thing that you enjoy. Is yeah. Very strange. It's very odd. It's also just like, it's interesting how much they can just dismiss out of hand, like the things that they participate in. Like if you, if you're aware of like what's been going on with like the Star Wars movies in the past couple of years, you'll notice that like they've hired some people of color actors, they've hired some women to play mains, and that did make white supremacists very angry to the point where they like started like harassing Kelly Marie Tran, harassing John Boyega. But what these fanfic writers fail to rec- like they or not even fail to recognize, but blatantly ignore 
is that they do the exact same thing, <laughs> but from the lens of like, you should just like shut down and be respectful, like John Boyega to Daisy Ridley. Like you just need like Who you killed should be- Princess Diana. You, you black actor should be grateful that Disney would dare give you a paycheck. Like the, there's this nasty way that they spoke to him after he, like it was very clear from like the outset of like the last film that his character had been basically like put on like the bench, like it had just been benched and like wasn't, was supposed to be a main. Like it was very obvious from like looking through all of the like current trilogy that was like, being made that he was supposed to be a main and then clearly somewhere down the line they decided he was not going to be a main and once the ink dried on his final check he made a lot of different tweets about how silly it was that he got like basically just written out of the story um and that like he like wasn't treated fairly um to his white counterparts and by making those tweets, he got a ton of Raylos on his back about it. Um, to quote the Rebecca Harrison article again, how much ro- overt racism emanates from white Raylos, particularly towards black protagonist Finn and actor John Boyega, is impossible to quantify without conducting both quantitative and qualitative studies of messages on social media platforms. It is beyond the scope of this commentary, meaning McCourt's essay, um, to produce that data. The problem with McCourt's essay is that she dismisses all possibility of Raylos exhibiting racism towards Boyega without conducting any research at all to support her claim. Where she searches and data mines and scrapes tweets for information pertaining to abuse against Raylos, she simply states that any accusations of racism emanating from the Raylo community are false, referring to a tiny minority or based on sock puppet accounts designed to stir up hatred. She, argue, uh, she argues of racism um, that these incidents are statistically insignificant. Uh, to the population of people who discuss Raylo positively on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis. She Why later. Why the fuck are you discussing Raylo positively yeah. on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis? <laughs> you know what this reminds me of? When the United States um, killed uh, Kasim Soleimani in an airstrike a few years ago. I don't know if you probably remember when that <laughs> happened. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then. Mm-hmm. Um, Iran, like, I, I think it was uh, Maradi, like, said back that there was no way to really retaliate against the United States for that because the United States, we have no heroes the way that Iran has with, with real-life figures. And so what could we do? Yeah. Like, they were like, are we supposed to assassinate SpongeBob? Are we supposed to assassinate Spider-Man? There's no way to retaliate. And I think that they were right because the amount of like, uh, like I don't know, his, histrionics that these people are getting themselves into from a house of mouse cultural export for free. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like media yeah, I mean, consumption she... should not be hurling you into these like intense emotional crises when like who is who's collecting the check on that it's walt like, disney's cryogenic head like, and you are like, doing free defense of, of uh disney products all day long on twitter it's genuinely it's fully insane. insane 
it's fully insane that like in like this woman is 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 citing herself as a data analyst mccourt is like i i am compiling all of this data together but it's only like all of it is quantitative to her own biases right she goes in with a conclusion and goes in searching for that conclusion and comes out with the conclusion she wants like she spends a lot of the article criticizing john boyega himself for calling out his racist detractors um because she claims his Raylo tweets were designed to start a bullying campaign against the group like she writes uh the tweet was successful in doing exactly in in doing exactly what it intended and exactly what lurking hate accounts who successfully orchestrated the bullying barrage wanted the tweet to do, to galvanize a horde of aunties and alt-right trolls Ooh. and their following to, by I their own admission- people of color a horde. Yeah, super cool. Um, by their own admission, bully Raylos. And then she says, while racism is prevalent, is a prevalent concern that needs to be addressed within all fandom communities and question but. over <laughs> and question over questions of over inherent privilege due to one's community are something to be examined no support was given to back up these particular claims about the Raylo community during this instant Stop. so here are some so examples she's basically, <laughs> saying, she's basically saying that it's not about racism it's about ethics in star wars yeah. journalism yeah basically basically yes she is like the idea that john boyega it's, gamer, who was, it's gamergate for women the idea that john boyega a black man who was on the set of star wars uh vented his frustrations with the treatment that he got or and Kelly Marie Tran, an Asian woman, vented her frustrations with the treatment she got. And Raylos came out in droves to tell them that they were being disrespectful to their fellow castmates who happened to be white people. It's odd, isn't it? It's funny, isn't it? Anyway, she says there's no particular claims about the Raylo community during this incident. Here are some claims about the Raylo community during this incident. If we read this account from uh, the Oh No They Didn't Live Journal by, um, we can see that Raylo fans attempted to get a black writer fired from Team Vogue named uh, Stitch. Stitch has um, on her blog a a long and storied history with being harassed by Raylos, but in her Twitter thread specifically during this incident, after she wrote an article interviewing Kelly Marie Tran, where they talk about the harassment that they have both received as both a writer writing about Star Wars and an actor in Star Wars, not just from the alt-right community, but from fans who um, seem to have a allegedly liberal, uh, you know, political id. Um, like they faced, they both faced a lot of harassment from that. Um, so Stitch in her Twitter uh, thread in May 28th of 2021 uh, says, if you have no idea what's going on, I am being harassed for writing about racism and fandom on my site, my still private main account, and now for Teen Vogue in a way that uh, doesn't actually, doesn't cater to racists um, or other POC uh, that let themselves be actually weaponized uh, in defense of racism. I have documented this in detail um, as it has happened um that this has been happening to me since at least 2017. I have talked about the pick me POC as a term and silencing um, and how white people in fandom are using POC to wage their wars for them. 
I have written about how Ray Kylo fans specifically have harassed a lot of people, a lot of black and brown authors, fans and journalists over the years, but also John Boyega himself. I left Tumblr in 2018 largely due to harassment from shippers who would aggressively hate me and lie on me, like the claim that I am anti-Asian and anti-Rose, which I guess is Kelly Marine trans uh, character name. Uh, for a 2018 piece, I wrote about not loving how she treated Finn or how her arc went. Um, these people, literally the same ones like, um, and I guess this is a Raylo um, Twitter handle, uh, is the same ones like um, this person is here every single time calling for me to be fired, tried to get me fired in February of this year for fan service number two, um, which is her, uh, which is their column. Um, on the value of criticism and fandom, which the, the article is titled fan fiction is fun. That doesn't mean fans can't critique it, <laughs> which I just, I don't, this is a horrible thing that happened to stitch, but I just think that's that title is just such a scream for what we've been talking about. Um, and now they're doing it over an interview I did with Kelly Marie Tran on online harassment. Like they're lying on me slash my behavior slash my time in fandom. And it's actually ultimately about their Kylo centered ship. I am not a bully. I've never bullied anyone. I'm not the nicest when it comes to talking about racism and fandom, but why should I be? I'm rarely ever talking to any of the people that I'm dealing with. Um, say so saying something or someone is racist is a statement. I back up mine with proof. Additionally, most of the time I am not addressing singular people. And until January, 2020, when Ray Kylo shippers harassed John Boyega on Maine, I blocked handles until I saw people sharing plans to boycott John's films or making up victims of domestic violence and stories of drug abuse. I have documented how me trying to curate my space and fandom and trying to protect myself from racists who are clearly intended to destroy my life and livelihood is used as an excuse to harass me more and proof of harm done. I need everyone to see what is happening here. I am being attacked and lied on by racists. Yes, even though some of these people are POC too, who are intent on destroying my life and my reputation in the name of their favorite pairing and fandom and a racist status quo. And I need people to be firm about this shit. You know, I'm not bullying people. I barely even talk to people because of how many people twist my words, overreact to a comment or a judgment they read, etc. Demand proof, but don't waffle about what you do know. I am being subject to a smear campaign by people who refuse to provide actual proof. And no, me calling one specific generic people pick me's is not proof that I hate biracial people or bullying. Say that you know that they're lying. God confront these actual racists, please. Um, it's And remember, you know, this is all about ships for them. This is a game yeah, to them. <laughs> like, imagine doing all of this for a Disney product. Like yeah, actively trying to destroy a cult of personality around a cultural export from the House of Mouse. Something not even, that was plucked out of Walt Disney's frozen head. And not even like the cultural <laughs> export, but like one specific pairing that you have in your head that is in fact canon to the cultural export. Like yeah, and, every and all of this is this like super circular discourse even over yeah. like is this thing good or bad mm -hmm. when that's just a like an inane way to be approaching media anyhow like if someone says that they don't like the thing that you enjoy because it has 
like X or Y qualities, like they maybe they think it's it's racist or sexist. That doesn't mean that you are a bad person for enjoying it. Doesn't mean that you can't enjoy it anymore. It's like simply providing you with a critical lens that you can look at this piece of media with, which is why I've been saying it is Gamergate for women, mm-hmm. because this is exactly what happened with Gamergate in 2014, where all of these rancid little nerds were like, video games are art. And then someone had the gall to criticize video games as if they were art, which means like analyzing how they interact with the real world and what real world like ideologies are being used Mm -hmm. while creating video games and like and they got upset about it and this is exactly the same thing of people pretty much throwing a tantrum because they want the media that they like to simply be good or bad because media consumption has become a form of self-expression and like a means of forming an identity for people. So therefore like the media that you consume is supposed to reflect your values as a consumer and you can't possibly like anything bad and also be a good person Mm -hmm. because the, the things that you like are supposed to be a part of your identity curation. It's crazy. And it also just totally like makes art, barren and superficial and I think that this is why people are retreating into fan fiction rather than like reading other literature because it allows them to just like force their will on an existing copyrighted property and make it reflect a world that they want and they interact with absolutely nothing else and throw a massive tantrum when uh, they are like confronted with the idea that maybe things shouldn't be this way. And you know mm-hmm. what? I want to put them in the room that the woman from the yellow wall- wallpaper story <laughs> was in. <laughs> I want to make them look at the yellow wallpaper what I just think until is- they know what they did was wrong. What I just think is so interesting about... Um, like this specific phenomena in particular, like, cause, cause this is actually like this, like what's happening to stitch um, on a smaller scale is kind of what happened to the person that I was defending when I got bullied by Raylos last year. Um, yeah. Another black writer. Yes. Ashley Reese. And th- this is um, like, what I kind of want to backtrack on here is that what's so interesting about this Raylo thing is that these people aren't defend like cuz cuz the the like white supremacists and like the the weird men and nerds that defend classic Star Wars and are like this is not my Star Wars like it has women and people of color in it what they care about is like the product as a whole like they not in the sense that they are like true fans that's not what i'm saying at all but more that like they um they, they like care about the whole product being for them. Whereas like um, Raylos care about the whole product revolving around this one specific part of the product that they like. Like, it's very odd to me that they like will harass even actors from like their favorite thing if they don't immediately validate the one specific pairing that they have. Like, which it like like we said before like fan fiction is a derivative is like an is not a derivative but like an evolution of childhood play and like stitch says at the end of their thread this is 
all about ships for them. This is a game for them. But to the people that they are harassing, it's emotionally draining and it's um, risking, like it's it's risky for their career. Like it's it's out to yeah, destroy their lives. trying to get someone fired over the, the house of mouse. Yeah. Like um, you were doing free labor for Walt Disney. And like that's Walt, how you I'm a Nazi Disney. And how you know it's a it's a game to them is how um like is is kind of through the experience that I had. So Ashley Reese wrote an article about Snape wives. So this is not even in the same fiction universe, not even in the same like realm, not the same actor, nothing about these two um like Raylos and Snape wives are similar except for the fact that they are both fan fiction derived around a villainous man with long black hair. That is the that's the that's the be all and end all of it. Um, Snape wives are a group of women that, um, you know, for all intents and purposes, you can read Ashley's article when we link it in the description. But for all intents and purposes here, I'm going to say they believe themselves to be married to Snape that in another universe, they are all married to Snape. And it's almost like this like weird little online pseudo cult where they all write fan fiction about being married to Snape. And they are convinced that they are married to Snape, some of them anyway. And Raylos took offense to this because um, I guess Ashley um, just compared them in the sense that they are both writing fanfic about white men with long black hair. And well, and noses. I think similar <laughs> similar characters of like anti heroes mm-hmm. that the women were, or maybe just like antagonists. I'm not really that familiar. No, anti hero I think would be Kyle. the correct term. Yeah, um, but like yeah, like troubled like men that the women who have like built their fandom around them like believe are like actually at their core good, and that they or their self insert character would be able to save them through their love. Like there's a, a similarity there. It's very, um, it's very Reed Dworkin mm-hmm. is what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, so what happened was basically uh, Ashley got a ton of flack for this. And Ashley was both my Twitter mutual and also a friend of a friend. Like she's someone that I knew, at, I, I know at least like, through acquaintances and I was kind of annoyed by like the things that these Raylos were saying in the comments specifically because I really didn't like um how they like I did I felt like I had at least something to say from the viewpoint of how they kept saying so what let people enjoy things and it's just like a Snape wife is not just someone enjoying a thing um it's like slightly pathological (laughs) And I get that you're, like, threatened that, like, Ashley is comparing you to someone who has some kind of pathological obsession with a fictional character, but maybe examine why you have but did overlap. did they not prove it right? But, did they yeah. not prove it right that they have a pathological obsession with a fictional character that they need to swarm some random writer because she said something mildly critical of them? Like, Specific- this is what I'm saying when you form your identity around media consumption, an attack, or not even an attack, but like a mild criticism of that piece of media becomes an attack on your character. Mm -hmm. And should you be investing that much of your identity in a Disney product? I know I keep Mm -hmm. saying it, but like, I I really need people to understand that (laughs) 
all of this is over a multi-billion dollar corporation that that absolutely does not give a shit about any of us. They would turn us into juice In a if second. they could make $5 from it. Yeah, I mean, and it's just, I, I get really frustrated by the let people enjoy things because it's, it's an, and basically what I said was let people enjoy things is extremely reductive and it basically is just a deflecting technique to keep you from engaging critically. And the sooner that you accept that, the sooner the scope of your world can open up and I said that thinking critically, like, doesn't always mean it's negative. Um, and to read comprehensively means to go beyond the reading material, to read between the lines, go to other sources, and really try to understand the points beyond just one piece of the puzzle. And I said at the end, doesn't that sound fun? Kind, And I think my tone was lost here because what I meant to sound like was, doesn't that sound fun? In like a sardonic way. But I think what they got was, doesn't that sound fun? Like I'm Miss Frizzle about to take them on like a fucking school bus ride. And they all quote tweeted that one specifically saying like, no, it doesn't. LMA. <laughs> That's Which- so funny. I mean, what like it's, I, I think again, is like the, the diff, like the, sorry, the dichotomy that they've created between like Raylos and aunties and like good or bad art. And it's, it's very, your fave is problematic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you can't just categorize art into good or bad. It's exactly like you were saying, like being able to critically analyze art is both an extremely useful tool, especially if, you know, when there's like so much fascist art being made, like being able to understand it um, and unpack it is really helpful, but it's also just like, it can be like a fun way to engage with art and, like putting stuff just in the categories of good or bad really prevents you from Mm -hmm. being able to do the actual like thorough work that's needed for judgment and understanding. And this is the part that I think that the, the Raylos, the gamer gators and everyone else who like throws themselves off a cliff whenever anyone says that the art that they like is not that good. Like, it's there's fine it's fine mm-hmm. to enjoy bad art there's actually i think a lot of value in engaging with bad art sometimes um it and you can even enjoy art that like has a harmful message enjoying art that has a harmful message doesn't mean that you're adopting all of its beliefs like i don't think it is really a great use of anyone's time to be reading Raylo fan fiction but you can and you can enjoy it and it doesn't even mean that if that's the case that you are now going to want to act out like a sadomasochistic relationship with a man with dark hair. Like, <laughs> it, there's, like there is a connection between the things that you enjoy and the way that you behave in real life. But that does not mean that it's like 100% of the time categorically true. And just because I don't like Doctor Who and I think it's it's corny does not mean that you are a corny person because you happen to like it at one point. And it's not a personal attack on your character either that I don't enjoy the thing that you liked. Yeah, I mean, we have, like, as friends, we have very, very different taste, you know? And I think, unfortunately, Raylos don't have many friends, so they cannot make the (laughs) distinction. They cannot make the distinction between, like, uh, 
like somebody just not liking something and that just being fine and that you can agree to disagree about a fucking TV show or movie. That's fine. You don't have to like it. Um, like, I think the big thing that I got from my interaction with Raylo is that like, um, like I was able to come at it from a more removed perspective only because it wasn't my article and I was also a white person that was able to kind of engage with them on more of like, they couldn't come at me with the attack of like, um, I must be like, like, like that I, that I'm just ungrateful somehow, you know, that there's a lot of like anti-blackness specifically in their community that they refuse to take accountability for. But, but and you're, you're also a blonde, yeah. which puts you above. But at the time, uh, Ray, at the killed time, Princess Diana, who was also a blonde. At the time, I did have an anime profile picture that of the blonde girl from VG Cats specifically. <laughs> um, I do not know what that is. We're not um, Gunsmith Cats. Sorry, VG Cats is a fucking webcomic. Holy shit, no. Um, it's a furry webcomic for like video what? games. It's, yeah, VG Cats is, a, it's a whole thing. What I meant was Gunsmith oh. Cats. It's just, no, it's like a it's it's like two cats who play video games. It's nothing like we're gonna find out that Kendall's a furry in like episode twenty five. Yeah, we'll we'll get there. I I need to build up the lore <laughs> and the arc first. I had an anime profile picture, so they all assumed that I was a man, and then I said I'm not, and then they were like, so you must be um, insert uh, trans woman slur here, and then I said no, and then. Um, they were like, well, you must be a child. Like a lot of them came at me with, you must be a child then you're a child. You're just a minor. And you like the, and I was like, I'm not, I'm 26. Cause I was 26 at the time. And they were like, that's still a child. Like they just refused to take accountability even for like the littlest things like of just being wrong that I am not a minor. Like, and the thing you is that I was hated minors. You know who else hated minors? Who? Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> I. She was also a brunette. <laughs> she was also a brunette. That is a big thing. She might have killed Princess I think, Diana too. I think emotionally, it might have been a co-conspiracy. I think emotionally, a lot of these women who came at me were brunettes. I kept coming at them with the, with the intense desire to just give them the benefit of the doubt because I thought maybe some of these people are children and you know I didn't take an exact head count dear listener but I did go to a lot of people's profiles and all of them were women who stated that they were over the age of 30 some women were almost 56 coming at me saying like you're a child you're a child and in their and in their bio they say like 56 minors dni proud wife to a military husband <laughs> like just insane shit of just like being confronted with the fact that your name calling is just factually not true and does not lend you credence in any way and just being and just denying that i said it at all like it's ve- it was just very very it was an odd odd time that i had for like at least 2 weeks where I was just getting bombarded with lots and lots of different um, women who felt the need to tell me that um, I must be a misogynist for just not even saying 
anything about Raylo specifically, or even Snape wives, or even quote tweeting Ashley in that tweet, but just saying, saying let people enjoy things is extremely reductive. Very you know weird. What is also, I think my my final thought mm-hmm. on this is that like it really does show how online and like really fucking insular these people are that it felt like an attack and that they needed to remind you to let them enjoy something when Mm -hmm. the thing that they are begging you to to let them please enjoy is like a multi-million dollar blockbuster hit like people enjoy star wars Lots of people enjoy Star Wars. It's a it's a very popular, uh, very very popular. <laughs> it's a very popular franchise, and it's just like you you are like way too online. If this highly successful franchise being mildly criticized in a sentence by one person feels like a personal attack that you need to stand up against, yeah. I mean, here's the here's the thing I will say. People enjoy it. Here's the thing I will say. Here's my closing thoughts. Um, I mean, the evidence is clear, according to at least McCourt's like badly <laughs> badly cited statistics, that Raylos are primarily while they are primarily a group of white women, are still women. I won't deny that of them. They are clearly women. They have, who have who have felt some hurt from men in their own fandom over the years. Um, challenging their loyalty to a product. Um, however, that act uh, has like blurred the lines for them so deep that they like refuse to acknowledge the hurt that they've caused to other people. Um, the patriarchal systems that they participate in when they write these stories um, and lash out at any of anyone who has anything negative to say. You have become blind to the idea that you must be being persecuted against if you participate in something that primarily women enjoy. You know, Raylos, when you get down to it, they are just like like uh, devout followers of the cult of choice feminism and how like every choice that a woman makes must be valid because it is her choice rather than the idea that maybe she, like like Lana Del Rey Vans, they are participating in a system that um, like they are meant to participate in in order to keep other people down. You know, um, and that's sad. It's sad. Yeah, normalize um, people liking Star Wars. Yeah. Normalize <laughs> women being feminine. Normalize women having sex with men. Actually, okay. My my closing thought is a question. Mm-hmm. I've never seen Star Wars. I was under the impression that these movies are for children. They are. So are Kyle and Ray are they are they fucking like they do I mean how much time is even devoted to this they like, do they, couple in they, the sh- in they the have a very franchise. they have a very long rivalry in the trilogy and they do kiss at the end of the last movie so so but all of this is for a couple that doesn't get together until the end mm-hmm. in a franchise for children <laughs> where all they all they do is they don't even they all they do is kiss? Yeah, they just kiss. 
That's crazy. Mm-hmm. This is like, you know, the new Marvel movie that's coming out, the Eternals, or maybe it's already come out. I, it's, don't care. I think it's come. I don't, Whatever. I don't know. Like the director had to defend why there was a sex scene in the movie. And it was so funny because it was almost like she had to explain like why humans have sex with each other she was like yeah it just like shows the connection that these two characters have with each other and that their like attraction is really powerful yeah and it's still it cements their relationship and i'm like bro what are you ex- are you explaining to marvel fans why people have sex i understand that it's a pandemic we've all been in our houses for a while but <laughs> I mean, because it's still a mouse product, right? It's still the House of Mouse, mm-hmm. and that's controversial to have sex in a in a movie owned by Disney, even but a movie that a is rated PG thirteen. Yeah, it's a little for bit bonkers to me for all of this fixation to be happening over a couple that I'm assuming, from what you've told me, is not that even prominent in the series. Yeah. Like, it's just interesting because while white supremacists, and I'm not saying that you have the same beliefs as white supremacists if you're a Raylo, but you do participate in a lot of the same practices where you treat the lives of people who don't agree with you um, as a game. Like, and that is very sick and sad, to be honest. I think we need to, we need to get the straight women yeah. unionized mm-hmm. because something is not right if they're investing all this time in a couple that is not even the main part of a movie and doesn't fuck. Mm-hmm. That that should not be your porn. I don't want to smoke, I just want to smoke. I don't want to smoke, I just want to smoke. Anyway, we are almost at two hours again. You're you welcome. are grateful. You are welcome and you are grateful. Yeah, shut up. Uh, thank you thank you so much for listening this week. Please follow us on Twitter. We're going to get back to a regular schedule very yeah. soon. What is our Twitter? It's Big Soy Naturals. What's Kendall's Twitter? It's she, her, Zog. Mine is Commodify This. And we also have an Instagram. We have an Instagram. And then we have our website, Big Soy Universe, at... Um, uh, bigsoyuniverse.neocities.com it is not an email it is a website and you can also email us at bigsoypodcast at gmail.com we give so many prompts per episode and no one emails us Send, we even well, wait, people, people we have do, asked you to people s- do email us but we aren't getting we're not getting the volume that we deserve we yeah, need I mean we asked we asked you dear listener to send us nudes and we have so many men in our audience. I really thought they would. I asked I for really the men they would. to send themselves to me wearing a corduroy suit. Do none of you own a corduroy yeah. suit? I would. I want to see it. Send me pictures yeah. of yourself in a corduroy suit. I'm very disappointed with our lingering fan base that nobody has bothered to send us an email. If you don't, oh, well, they're just not sending us the right ones. If you don't own a corduroy yeah. suit, go out, buy one. Send us a picture in it. Write us fan fiction about the two of us. Um, follow us on social media. Do not complain about the length of this episode. Do not complain about our irregular podcasting schedule. Shut the fuck up. Read the yellow wallpaper. Read Dworkin. Bur- read Dworkin. Burn down <laughs> the house of mouse. Goodbye. Goodbye. I don't want to smoke. I just want to smoke. Cock is one of my favorite tastes.
I don't want smoke. I just want to smoke. When I hit the pipe, I'm like Walter White. Not only that, I feel like a ball smell amazing. Yeah, I like green because it makes me lean. And I smoke high because I'm blowing clouds. When I hit high, then it's time to smoke. There are dangerous people. Like, I cannot get it far enough down my throat to be satisfied. I don't want to smoke. I'm only satisfied when I feel those intense, powerful, salty, hot pumps of cum down my throat. I don't want to smoke. I just want to smoke. This is a certified Big Soy Naturals classic.